Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Rock Ed Radio, where we talk about all things geological and educational. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Joanna Hodge, and today we are discussing accessibility, or the lack thereof, in geoscience field education. Most geoscientists agree that field geology is integral to geology education. Benefits include the development of higher order thinking, refining transferable skills such as time management and collaboration, and the initiation of students into the geoscience community of practice. Fieldwork can also be a lot of fun. My personal experiences of fieldwork were mostly great. In both my education and career, I've had the opportunity to see and work in a lot of amazing places, meet interesting people, and most importantly, have accessed opportunities I may otherwise not have had without these diverse field experiences. Fieldwork is also mostly inaccessible to students who don't conform to the rugged outdoorsy type, and for whom climbing a mountain, for example, is an unassailable peak. So how do those students and geoscience practitioners access these experiences that, that appear so critical to advancement both in industry and academia? Well, often they don't, and there is a misconception that people with disabilities don't want to pursue geological careers. Certainly people with disabilities are underrepresented in geoscience, primarily, I suspect, because of physical and attitudinal barriers to education particularly field education. I've had several well-respected geoscientists with senior positions in academia, government and industry tell me that no one in a wheelchair is going to be a geologist. Understandably not, if that is the attitude they face. In today's episode, I'm speaking with three guests who have varied experiences in the disability and geoscience communities and who are going to share their experiences with facilitating inclusion for students with disabilities in field education. My first guest on the show today is Melissa McQuaid. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining me. Hi, Joanna. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so my name is Melissa McQuaid and I live in the city of Kawartha Lakes, work at the Frost Campus, Fleming, Col Fleming College, um, as an accessible education counselor. Did you want to know more than that? Yeah. So if you could tell us what your role as the AAS counselor at Frost entails, that would be great. Sure. So maybe just a little bit about my background in terms of what I have to bringing into this role. So um, I have my master's degree in social work. I also have a bachelor's in education. So um, with this role, it's an interesting bit around the accessibility because um, I do come from a social work background. But my role specifically is to support students with accommodations who are coming into the post-secondary level. Um, my background, I worked for 10 years within special education with the separate board prior to this, supporting students, again, who might have had accommodations, uh, primarily behavioral components. Um, so yeah, my role is to support students with accommodations, students who have identified, diagnosed disabilities or suspected disabilities as well. And so a big part of your role, I guess, is to work with faculty to figure out how to accommodate students with disabilities, right? 
Correct. Um, so there's that, um, the work that we do in terms of accommodations is to, to support students to meet the learning outcomes of the course. So to look at removing barriers to learning, um, the students still have to um, demonstrate the skill or the knowledge. So it's not in, it's not saying that they don't need to do that. It's just removing the barrier that might be there in terms of them demonstrating that they know the knowledge or or have that knowledge. Um, so sometimes that work with faculty, well, usually it's fairly straightforward in terms of accommodations for a student in the classroom or um, in the field. However, sometimes there can be a some tension around the learning outcome, the integrity of the course and the accommodation and trying to figure out whether the accommodation perhaps might be compromising the uh, learning outcome or the integrity of the, the course. So that's where there can be a deeper dive into um, what the functional limitation is of the student and what the accommodation is and what the learning outcome is. So that can, that can take sometimes a lot of work um, and a lot of collaboration with faculty and with the student to, to take a look at those pieces. So at Centers, at the School of Environmental and Natural Resource Sciences, there is a very strong focus on the practical hands-on experiences, which I think can certainly present some challenges to students that have disabilities and, uh, and particularly the mobility issues. What are some of the impediments that you see towards accessing those exper experiences for those students that have those mobility impairments? That's a good question and kind of a tough question. When I think about that, you know, for example, you can't have a blind taxi driver. So often this is, you have to look at these within the individual circumstances and what particular aspect is it that the student is trying to demonstrate, but maybe there's a barrier. Um, so for example, you know, somebody with cerebral palsy and it's the heavy equipment operator program, you know, um, we have to look at that and safety always trumps. So if there's concerns for safety, um, those things will trump an accommodation, but we try our best to look at how to mitigate risk or reduce the risk. Um, some other examples might be a student who is in a wheelchair who needs to um, complete an electro fishing assignment. So that student is unable to get into the water, but can sit on the uh, on the bank. And you know we have to look at that and can he or she complete that task um, without having to get into the water. So it's kind of unpacking all of those things and. Um, can the student demonstrate the knowledge, but maybe perhaps in a different way? Um, yeah, so there's no blanket statement around, you know, whether we can or can't accommodate. Um, same, another situation is kind of a, a deaf student who, and so this isn't physical, but it, again, it, it applies the analysis or the questions we want to ask 
in these situations. So a deaf student who can't hear the bird songs. So is there another way for them to do that? Uh, maybe not. Um, so then there's the question around, is this a bona fide academic requirement, right? This is one aspect of a course within a fish and wildlife program. Um, so can this be done another way? And if not, can it be waived? So it's looking at the, the bona fide requirement piece um, and that analysis that would, would apply there. So I hope that I hope that helps in terms of kind of shaping some of the questions and some of the things we look at. I think the big thing is perhaps applying a universal design for learning approach when faculty are developing and designing the curriculum. Um, I get in place when perhaps maybe universal design wasn't in place and we have to look at a one-off accommodation um, that is specific to removing a barrier for this student. But if we step back and we look at the, the design of the course and look at the curriculum through a lens of universal design, that really is ideal. And um, I think the Ontario Human Rights Commission is, is now asking post-secondary institutions to be applying the universal design for learning lens when you're building or developing curriculum for students and looking at you know the variety of learners and the variety of needs that come along with that. Well, certainly universal design has applications for students with obvious disabilities and students that, uh, that don't necessarily. But it seems like it's a very individual approach that takes into account uh, the strengths and abilities of the student, the, the requirements of the learning outcomes and ways that faculty can actually develop meaningful learning experiences that that provide students with disabilities and accommodation uh, equal access to the education that they seek. Yes. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to share with us today? I just think it's important to uh, that context, right, for us at the post-secondary level and for education services provi providers is the duty to accommodate, right? So we, the legislation um, that binds us is the Ontario Human Rights Code, right? So um, students are entitled and have a right to equal access, full participation and inclusion in uh, the learning environment and in the post-secondary environment. Um, so I think, we're shifting in the right direction. Certainly the universal design for learning is great pedagogy. It's a great way for us to uh, be thinking about our students our and our learners and their needs. Well, I certainly think that education and designing curriculum is better off designed, uh, you know, from a moral and ethical perspective of providing equal opportunity rather than, you know, complying with legislation. Um, that seems, I don't know, not quite the right way to see it. So perhaps if we can incorporate 
that uh, that diversity and diverse experiences into our uh, into our teaching pedagogy, then you know students from all sorts of diverse learning environments and uh, and abilities will will get to experience the same kinds of things in their education. Yeah, yeah. I think the other the other aspect with accommodations and um, is imp- that's important is the dignity, right, for individuals and um, whether they, that be someone with a learning disability or someone in a wheelchair. Um, the, the Ontario Human Rights Code gives an example of dignity, which I think is a really interesting one and we still see this happening you know how does someone enter the building how does someone in a wheelchair enter the building are they entering through a loading dock uh, passing by the garbage room or are they entering into the building in the same way as everyone else so i think that's a, a great analogy or metaphor in terms of looking at the dignity piece um and and so it's about you know, individualized accommodations, integration of full participation, but also the dignity piece and keeping that in mind. Thanks so much for speaking with me today, Melissa. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Joanna. That was great. My second guest on the show today is Chris Atchison. Chris, thanks for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, you're welcome. We're excited to hear what you've got to say today. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, uh, my name is Chris Atchison. I'm an associate professor of geoscience education at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I am also the executive director of the International Association for Geoscience Diversity. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in geology and why you decided to pursue geology as a career? Yeah, yeah. Um, Just like a lot of people, I believe, I think I fell into it. Um, I was uh, coming out of high school. I did not have a lot of earth science experience, just like most people, I believe. I think the last time I had had it was in the eighth grade. And I do recall enjoying that, but I never had an opportunity to learn more about it. Um, And so when I went into college, I wasn't thinking earth science at all. Um, I actually finished an associate's degree, a two-year degree in physics, and had transferred to uni um, to go after a physics undergraduate degree. Um, And it was actually uh, an elective course in hydrogeology that I took And we did a lot of our work outside and it was really environmental and I just fell in love with it, took another course. And then course after course after that, I became, I had an undergrad in geology and immediately started pursuing a master's degree. And so um, right out of, right out of uh, my master's, right out of my undergrad, actually, I I started teaching. So I was um, a middle school science teacher while I was working on a master's degree in geology and, and that's how I kind of fell into the teaching side of things. So when I went back from my PhD in science education and geology, it was, um, it was, to, it was to, to teach and to get into academia. That is uh, certainly a, a varied path to get into geology, <laughs> but, but not unsurprising. I know many people who have fallen into it that way. So you are the executive director of the International Association for Geoscience Diversity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization? 
Yeah. So um, in 2008, while I was working on my PhD, um, I started realizing that um, there, there were no uh, resources that existed to support students with disabilities who may be um, taking an introductory geology course or may be interested in pursuing the geosciences as a, as a discipline. Um, this was all a result of actually cre uh, working on my dissertation, which was taking students with disabilities into Mammoth Cave National Park and realizing the logistical issues that that experience took um, and to help them understand the, the geology that we were learning because none of them were geology majors. So through this whole process, um, I started realizing that there were no great resources to support students learning the geosciences um, or to help them work in the field. Um, you know, I would go to GSA or AGU meetings and realize that there were few people, very few people that were actually doing work and they would present posters on it or they would give talks about the work they were doing, but they would never publish anything or nothing was ever really shared uh, over the internet. Um, or no easy, easy way to get those resources. So the IEGD was really born um, out of a need to create a network just to get people sharing ideas and resources. And uh, in 2008, it was just a small grassroots advisory group of people that were all interested in doing this. It was probably a half a dozen of us and we called ourselves the National Advisory for Geoscience Diversity back then. Um, when we started getting rolling, um, more and more people showed interest and said, yeah, this is something we need. I often have students who take my introductory courses and they may be blind or they may have other disabilities that prevent them from doing certain activities. So this advisory group really started to grow and then uh, around 2012, we became more of an international community and then uh, developed bylaws and um, really kind of uh, organized the structure to it. And that's when we became the International Association for Geoscience Diversity. And then if you fast forward to today, we're uh, a national or an, an in, we're actually an international nonprofit. We have a chapter uh, in the UK that's based, uh, that's, that's supported by or sponsored by the Geological Society of London. Um, and we have people in the network that are uh, from around 40 different countries around the world. And so a lot of what we do is supporting students with disabilities who are interested in pursuing the geosciences. We support instructors, teachers, faculty who are working to support these students in their courses and their labs and their field courses. Um, and it's really, it's really still the foundation of what we were in 2008. It is a network to get people communicating and sharing ideas and resources and supporting one another. One of the best things that we see um, happening through our listserv and our social media is students connecting with students that have similar um, needs and, and accessibility issues and don't know what to do or how to say, you know, how to, how to request accommodations or so they, they really find a support network for them, which is a huge thing for a student who often feels like they don't 
fit in to a geoscience program or don't belong or, or something similar. Well, it's certainly fantastic work that you do. And I was fortunate enough to attend your field trip last year to the petrified forest in, uh, uh, in Arizona. Why is it important to make these field experiences accessible? You know, certainly when I was at university, geologists were rugged individuals. I was not actually one of those, but <laughs> you know, you were expected to hike up a mountain and collect samples. And even currently, professional registration requires some kind of field component. So just wondering what your, what your thoughts are as to why we need to make it more accessible rather than just sticking with the climb a mountain, smack yeah. off a few rocks. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not just the field courses that we need to focus on. Um, it's everything about the geoscience, about geoscience training programs, including the culture that we really need to focus on accessibility. Uh, the field happens to be the most inaccessible aspect of obtaining a degree in the geosciences. And like you said, it's also one of the big requirements for often uh, pursuing a career in the geosciences. Um, so uh, as an organization, that's where we started uh, to help people understand that getting people with disabilities in the field is entirely possible. Um, often students with disabilities are left out of opportunities to study in the field for a variety of reasons. And they might be logistics or transportation or liability issues or concerns. Um, and then these students are often given alternative assignments to complete rather than doing the field work, which is entirely not helpful for them um, so much of the science is social, it's collaborative, um, but yet these alternative assignments are given to them to complete individually. And we're removing students from the opportunity to learn with and from their peers. Um, so the field is a, a really a, an aspect that, that um, you, you see the culture of the geosciences truly come out. Like you were saying, it's rugged, it's, it's, um, it's in the natural environment, which is often unpredictable um, for a variety of reasons. Um, it's, it's physically demanding, it's cardiovascularly un, uh, demanding, it's, it requires all of your senses. And so you start seeing a reason why a student who may have a disability of some kind is often left out of this opportunity. And what we really need to be looking at is the fact that there are so many aspects of the geosciences that one, are not field focused and field oriented. And two, um, how many of the students that we work with day in and day out after they complete their degrees are actually in the field doing field work. A, a, a majority of their time. A lot of what we try to do is to give the students the experience of seeing the field, because obviously that is a very important piece of it. The work that we do, we're not trying to do away with the field in any, in any way. Um, we're trying to show people that learning in the field can look very differently for a lot of different reasons and, and a lot of different students. Um, that strengthen, that, that, that draw upon the student's abilities rather than their inabilities. And so we talk about how 
the field can be accessed through data. The field can be accessed through collaborative um, observations and interpretations and such. Um, and, and so students have a wider variety of experience rather than um, what we all remember from field camp. I remember going to field camp and I can tell you the, a lot of the things that were miserable about field camp rather than the stuff that I actually learned. I really, don't, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed being in the field. I really enjoyed working with my peers. Um, but if students don't get the opportunity to do that, um, they're really missing out. And so there are, there are so many different ways of, of, of giving them an accessible field experience um, that all students should have, but they also sh we also should take the time to realize that there are so many other things um, related to and unrelated to the field that we need to be focusing on. Now, as a faculty member who, prior to uh, encountering some students that had disabilities a few years ago, uh, had no other experience, what advice do you have for faculty that are looking to develop these accessible field experiences and open the wonderful field of geology to a much more diverse group? Yeah, so um, we, we are a discipline that is very traditionally field and physical, physically focused, right? We've just talked about that. Um, I'm, I'm finding more and more, you know, the IEGD is, is in our 13th year now. I'm finding more and more faculty are engaged and interested in learning how to do this, especially with the current uh, pandemic, right? Everybody has an accessibility issue now. Um, so a lot of the, the work that we've done through the IEGD to promote accessibility and remote learning is becoming very relevant. Um, but with the increased number of people that are aware of the accessibility issues, um, I'm finding that there are a lot of people that are trying new things, which is great. But oftentimes, well-meaning people can cause just as much harm as they can do good um, if they are not asking the right questions, if they're not listening to their students, if they're not reaching out to those who are, who are actually, who have been doing the work for a while, who have the research or understand the research. So the advice that I would have for faculty is please don't make decisions or design curricula based on what you think the students need without being informed. Um, like I said, even well-meaning instructors can cause harm. Um, they think they know what's best for their students, but they're afraid to ask their students what they actually need. A lot of people think that they're not allowed to ask students about a disability. And it's true. You shouldn't ask about a student's disability. You should, you should instead ask about what a student needs to be successful in a course or with an activity. Um, there are so many more resources today than there were 10 years ago. Uh, and if, if you don't know where to start, please email me directly or contact the IAGD. It's a simple email address. It's info at the IAGD.org. So please reach out, ask questions, and, and give your students a voice. They know their needs best, and they can help you understand how to help them be successful. 
That's how I've learned everything that I do right now is by listening to my students and the students that I've had involved in my research projects. So that's the best place that you'll be able to learn and listen by listening to your students. Well, that's fantastic advice, Chris. And I think it could probably be extended into many, many er other areas of academia. Yep, I agree with you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and uh, best of luck with moving forward during the spring. It's certainly going to be a challenging time for everybody. Um, but I know that uh, that the IAGD in association with the NAGT has been doing a lot of work on accessible and alternative field experiences. And it's pretty exciting to see the work that's been done. So yeah. thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate Excellent. it. Thank you so much. My final guest today is Tom Gill. Uh, welcome to the show, Tom, and thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be on board. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Tom? Yes. So um, I am currently a professor of geological sciences and environmental science at the University of Texas at El Paso, way out in very, very far west Texas in the desert where the mountains meet the border. And um, I've lived in West Texas since 1995, but uh, I've been around for a few years and I actually spent most of my life in California. I'm uh, from Northern California. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, went to college, both undergraduate and graduate at the University of California in Davis. And uh, really, most of my experiences in uh, uh, falling in love with the earth and the environment come from my days in California. Well, that's uh, certainly a beautiful location to fall in love with the environment. Oh, most definitely. So you and I met last year at the Petrified Forest Accessible Field Trip that was offered by the IAGD at last year's uh, GSA conference. Uh, now, that was my first IAGD field trip, but I did some snooping around on their website, and I see that you have been involved with them for some time. Yeah, I believe it was their first field trip or maybe one of their first field trips um, that I went on, gosh, uh, at least a few years ago in uh, Vancouver, Canada where uh, we had just a lovely field trip. And I think that was my first real in-person exposure to the IAGD. I'd certainly heard about it from friends and colleagues before and uh, followed their activities, but their field trip and their activities at the GSA meeting in Vancouver was um, my first meeting and trip with them. And it was just such a wonderful experience. So how and why did you get involved with the IAGD? So I have uh, been disabled with, um, since I was really a toddler, I'm, what you could say is I suffer from a chronic illness as well as a disability. Uh, since the age of two, I've suffered uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which over the years has, uh, variously left me with uh, various levels of chronic illness and disability. And it's been an interesting conundrum because as someone really 
uh, practically, practically since I was a sentient individual, having had some level of disability, but at the same time, also since a very, very young age, being um, very excited and fascinated and just passionate about geology and earth science and environmental and natural science, I really have not had any role models or peers to speak of in terms of uh, geologists or geology enthusiasts with disabilities. So it was just a tremendous eye-opener to find out that there was this organization you know, that had members who were in many ways people like me who were just passionate about geology, but also had various disabilities, and also an organization that I kind of had wished was out there for a long time actually existed, one that really promoted and advocated for the diversification of the earth sciences with regards to people with disabilities. So it was just amazing to find out about this organization, and I, I naturally gravitated to it. So given that the culture of geology is essentially hiking around the mountains, smacking on rocks with hammers, um, you know, enthusiastically going where no man has gone before, uh, did you find that people tried to dissuade you from pursuing geology as a career, given your mobility challenges? Yeah, that was always an issue to some extent. It, it was interesting. Uh, I was absolutely passionate about science from a very, very young age and was um, you know, always gravitated towards taking science classes and learning science and especially things related to the, the earth sciences, such as geology. And, you know, in, in high school and growing up as a child, you know, there were really no earth science type classes. There was just the general biology, chemistry, uh, physics type science classes for us that I, I took and did well in and did as much as I could in. Um, but when it got, but but even then, I, I knew I was very interested in uh, the geosciences of different sorts. And uh, I remember uh, one of my high school counselors upon saying or, or declaring that to her that I was thinking of going into that field, uh, the reaction that I would get from my counselors, let's say in high school was, well, you know, that's, that's you know, you're not really fit for that. But on the other hand, you know, science is a great uh, field and uh, we need more people with technical knowledge. And we certainly encourage you to get as much education as you can. And well, Tom, maybe you won't be able to be an actual geologist or uh, scientist, but you know, maybe the geological survey, you know, might find a job for you, like working in their office, perhaps as a, a file clerk. You know, they need someone to file and store all of those geological maps that they make, and you've got an aptitude for that. So you know, maybe you can work in their office in that type of capacity. So I got a lot of that type of response. I was very fortunate and partially one reason why I chose to go to the University of California at Davis, that was about 1980 when I started, 
was that uh, they were a very, number one, they were a very accessible campus. And uh, number two, for that day, uh, they were considered very progressive in um, having facilities that were accessible to students with disabilities. I was, I was very fortunate that um, actually the year before I enrolled as an undergraduate, um, they had just, I guess you could say literally and figuratively, rolled out their first fully wheelchair accessible chemistry lab lab bench set up in their chemistry labs. So students using wheelchairs could, I think for the first time the year before I enrolled there, take the chemistry course sequence. You know, if I had uh, tried to enroll there several years before, I might have actually been actively dissuaded, if not found it impossible to take courses like chemistry. So I, w I was fortunate in that regard, and many of my professors and uh, the they called it the Services for Handicapped Students Office really did advocate and uh, work with us and help us try to make the curriculum as accessible as possible. That said, in the courses that I took, because I knew I was not cut out to do tremendous amounts of field work. You know, I could walk short distances most of the time, but I wasn't about to go out and uh, do long, long hikes in the field with a lot of field classes. So I, ha I had to pick and choose what courses I could take. And, you know, the standard field camp was certainly not, not in the works for me. I did take a Springfield class where we went out on weekends and uh, attempted to follow it as much as possible to most of my ability. Tried to do what I could and work with my professors as much as possible to, you know, to, to try to learn as much geology as I could, yet at the same point, still make it accessible for me. And uh, fortunately, most of like the laboratory-based classes uh, were accessible or or we could find ways to make it accessible. And I really, for the most part, was uh, very much encouraged by my professors when I did get to university. I actually have to give a very special shout out to the late great Professor Eldridge Morris, longtime editor of the journal Geology and uh, former president of the Geological Society of America, who was uh, one of my professors for an undergraduate geology class, actually. And I'm very fortunate that he saw my potential and he really encouraged me to stay in the earth sciences, even though I took that class at a time that I was really having a very difficult problem with my chronic illness. And I believe I was actually in a wheelchair pretty much that entire semester. But he actually took me aside and said, look, don't let anyone discourage or dissuade you from pursuing a career in the geosciences. And if anyone gives you any guff, you know, just let me know and have them talk to me and I'll set them straight. And, uh, you know, it was really wonderful to have advocates like that. I suspect that completely aside from the physical barriers to accessibility, because we're still not very good at getting our infrastructure up to scratch, are the attitudinal barriers by people who think that you have to do specific things, 
in order to achieve a career or an education in geosciences? Yeah, I certainly I did face that. I faced a lot of that when I was younger, and I guess perhaps society was uh, still not quite as advanced in attitudes. And uh, as I got older, and those attitudes, uh, those attitudes either started to relax a little bit, or uh, I was just happy to take them on. Things got a little bit better. I guess it does help a bit that. Uh, I was a very, very stubborn child and uh, probably in many ways a stubborn uh, adult as well. And uh, I think sometimes my parents and my family didn't appreciate that stubbornness. But I think if it wasn't for that, uh, when people told me I couldn't do something or I wasn't cut out for something, um, I would often not take no for an answer. I would just see that as a great challenge to prove them wrong. And uh, honestly, I think that did help me quite a bit in, uh, you know, literally taking it as a dare to uh, prove them wrong and show like, no, I, I can compete at this. I can do this. And I do have the attitudes and I do have the abilities to make an impact here. And I'm going to prove you wrong. And uh, I had to do more than my share of that, especially when I was a uh, younger person, I think I kind of got a reputation for that attitude. So perhaps maybe eventually as I went on through the university, uh, my reputation preceded me. So uh, people would learn not to underestimate me when I wanted to do something. And uh, I found a way. In fact, come to think of it, yeah, back even when I was in high school and uh, when I was starting out at university, maybe perhaps through experiences like this to uh, make a twist on a, on a phrase, I would say, and people would know me for saying, where there's a gill, there's a way. And uh, I often found the way. Geoscience is all the better for having had you find that way. I think it's really fortunate too, that by the time I got to university, and became a more advanced student, and then started uh, going on towards graduate school. There was somewhat of a of a of a revolution beginning in the earth sciences to the point where it was realized that you know the image of the old prospector with his pick hiking for miles and miles across the wilderness picking at rocks was uh, somewhat going away to like the newer high-tech methods of doing earth and environmental science uh, with things like remote sensing, the advent of computer programming and using computers, and especially geology becoming more of a laboratory science as well. I would say I uh, really tried to optimize that and point that out and really really, uh, you know, use that as a crack in the door, so to speak, to take advantage of um, trying to use my abilities in, in those regards, as, as well as, again, you know, picking and trying to find projects and activities that were realistic to the physical abilities that I had and, and could be adapted. And, uh, you know, somehow it worked out. 
Do you have any advice uh, for anybody who would like to pursue a geological career but feels that they're going to be hampered by a lack of accessibility? Well, I, I would say several things. Number one, uh, thinking back at my own experiences, try to tune up or turn up your uh, your stubbornness factor <laughs> that, in the way that I did. And uh, don't take no for an answer. And if someone tells you that something can't be done, uh, think creatively. Number one, to try to assert for your rights. And number two, to try to find ways that it can be done. And then in a very practical sense, you know, as we would give advice for anyone going into any career, you know, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know your abilities, know what you're good at, know what really requires you to expend a lot more effort and try to optimize and work towards those things that um, really do, you know, fit your abilities and mesh with your ability is the best. And I think by doing that, it increases your ability to succeed. And the other thing, the thing that I am very fortunate of is no matter what, even going back to when I was a youngster, uh, just starting out in elementary school, through high school, college, into graduate school, my parents, my family members, and my mentors were always very unanimous in, I'd say, even if they had their doubts whether or not I'd be able to succeed in the geosciences, there was no question that, you know, optimize your learning capacity, optimize your knowledge, seek and get as much education and as much knowledge as you possibly can. I mean, there was never any question, even when I was a very, very young child um, who had, for many years was like very seriously disabled. There was just absolutely no question from my parents, from my family members, from my teachers, like, oh, you are going to college. You are going to university. You are going to keep going to school and achieve, you know, the highest degree and the highest level of education you possibly can, because no matter what you study, that is only going to serve you well in your career and your life. And for sure, the most knowledge, the most education, the most experience that you can get, um, no matter what field it is in, that is going to serve you well. And it's it's just a given that you need to do that. And I was raised with that attitude literally from day one. And I, I think that really helped me quite a bit along my way. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your experiences uh, with, with me and, and uh your challenges and your successes. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm uh, always at your service and uh, really glad to have been a part of this program.
was Day Trips by Ketza, sourced from freemusicarchive.org and used under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license.